Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge, where we try to keep you uh, in touch with what's going on here in Israel and give you some insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Oh, great. Hanukkah time. Very nice. Happy Hanukkah. A little bit warm. Happy, happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. I see uh, on Skype that you are wearing a, uh, what is that, a fedora? Uh, no, it's just a... Uh... It's actually too cheap to be a fedora. All right. <laughs> my fedora's in, the, in my my fedora is my Shabbos hat in my box. So. Oh, yeah, very nice. Uh, so we are uh, skyping because we have uh, in our third chair Lior Krinsky. How's it going, Lior? I'm doing well, thanks, guys. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, we haven't had you on in a yeah. while. I know. I'm a little offended. Yeah. Oh well, well please you know. don't. Uh... Oh no, I feel it's, bad. It's us Israelis ignoring our American brethren. That's what yeah, it is. You know, We're out of touch with the American Israeli diaspora relations. Exactly. Falling apart once again. Uh, but we actually thought it was uh, good to have you on for this episode because we want to talk about uh, the Jerusalem decision a week after, sort of the aftermath. And since you are... Did something ladies, happen? Oh, what are you talking you about? Get, oh, you didn't listen to last week's episode. No, I, it's been on my list of things to do. I've been busy. <laughs> well, we did our she's last pl- week's She's episode. planning on binging over Hanukkah vacation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> I think it's probably better in small doses. Um, but we've had time. Our, our last episode actually was before the official speech. And so we figured a week in, it's big enough news and people are still talking about it. We could be a little reflective. We can have a little bit of background uh, and see sort of what we're thinking about now in this new era, although it certainly is not much in the headlines. Which uh, we kind of predicted. Uh, it's more in the headlines than I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, still, there's still stuff being talked about on a still it's still coming up like on the New York Times Daily Update. You know, it's still saying Jerusalem. Which I thought, it, I mean, again, it's not like, you know, burning story, but it's still a story, I think. Well, yeah. Right. No, well, what are your thoughts? Lior, what are your thoughts? Because uh, um, uh, we pretty much talked to Blue Streak last week. So let's see. Let's yeah, see I'm, s- I'm still trying to, um, I'm still processing. I think a lot of people are still processing. I mean, on, on the one hand, it's it's this it's it's very trumpian right like it is um i'm i'm thinking about that art i've been thinking about that article you wrote mike where um a few months ago about trump kind of misspeaking but just trying to kind of say what he means like this is very much him saying saying he likes to say what is what is there right. um and this is this is reality Right? Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. This is what is going on. Jerusalem, all of the government offices are there. Um, Jerusalem has always been the capital, of the, is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. Um, it's the reality on the ground. Let's acknowledge the reality on the ground and move on. Um, and like, as a proud Jew, this is something that like I'm celebrating, you know, like great. It's um, America is Israel's ally and, and it feels good to have acknowledged that um, and have that acknowledged. Would you say the people in your community are also? 
similarly? Um, you know, it was interesting because in my, um, in, I'm a member of an Orthodox shul and in my, um, in, in our synagogue's bulletin, we, my husband and I were discussing this, um, you know, there was this lovely thing that the rabbi put together and it was referring to America acknowledging it. Not once did we, did he, um, the rabbi mention Trump or the administration. Um, so they definitely kept the political element out of it. But I think there, the, the synagogue being where we live is very politically divided so the focus has been very much on um, coming together around the the American nature of it all and trying to keep politics out of it. I, I um, actually, but I think there is a quiet, there's a quiet pride, but there's also this concern around the potential for violence and the potential for, for repercussions. Um, I have a friend, a, a very good friend of mine who's... Um, Family are, um, are Jerusalemites, and they're back and forth all the time. And um, there's a sense of, you know, how many how many Jews are going to potentially have to die because of this decision. And there's a, you know, there's a fear. Like, we all are afraid of um, of any sort of violence and repercussions. And, and, you know, thank God things have been relatively calm. But poo, poo, everyone's poo, watching as my the Bobby Jews. would say. Has there everyone's been an uptake in security? Has there been an uptake in security in your community? No, but there's, but we've we've had incidents over the past um, over the past year anyway, where security that have caused security to be um, tightened, really as a result of I think what we've seen kind of in America overall um, in regard to heightened racial tension, heightened um, heightened incidents of um, kind of just tensions between groups in general. Like there have been, there were, a, there was an attack at my, or a vandalism at my synagogue. There was um, swastikas at one of the local high schools. Um, people being called um, anti-Semitic slurs, walking out of high holiday services at one of the other shuls, like just different things that have been popping up in a community where that's, has never been the norm before. Mm-hmm. So people are, people are tense in general. I think that's a sign of the, not just in America, and just say the bombing in Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bombing in Manhattan, but also uh, direct, specifically anti-Semitic incidents. Yeah, uh, in in several European countries as well. Yeah, exactly. So, it's. Um, I think it's. A, I, I think people are waiting and seeing. Hmm. I first of all, I, I think I uh, I appreciate that your rabbi, as a religious leader, talked about sort of the momentous feelings that that are generated for Jews without getting political. I I actually applaud that. I don't think, I think it's healthier when religious leaders are apolitical. I think that's a better, and and it's weird being a people, a nation that also has a religion. And so religious leaders very often feel compelled to. um, I mean, would you say the same thing about Martin Luther King? I would say that Martin Luther King was functioning as a civil rights leader was not uh, was not acting as the head of a church and fighting for civil rights I don't think is telling people who to vote for or no yeah I'm not talking here about telling people to vote for necessarily but there are political well you are saying that that by praising the the Jerusalem thing without saying he he neither said. And I can't believe it came from a terrible president, nor did he say, see, I told you he's the best president. 
he just left that part out of the address and just talked about I, I think that's better I, I think that's clergically responsible uh, I don't know what you call it pastorally uh, sensitive I don't know what the proper term is but I think that's I think that's a better practice. I don't like when, uh, well, as a Jew, I don't like it when rabbis, but I think it applies to other religions as well. I don't like when rabbis put their finger on the scale in a political issue. I, 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 it's not what I go to them for. No, it, it was, it was unifying. Country. You live in the wrong country. <laughs> well, I think it's a problem in this country. I do. I do. I think that, uh, well, that's, that's a whole other discussion about religion and state. But I agree with you, Lior, that I think this is... Uh, a, a Trump, a Trumpistic thing to do. It, it, it made me think of when, uh, during the transition, when he received a phone call from the leader of Taiwan, and they explained to him that America doesn't, American leaders don't pick up phone calls from the leader of Taiwan because of the One China policy, that China regards Taiwan as part of China and Taiwan do, treats itself as independent, and then President-elect Trump, who took the phone call, was like. But what do you mean? We do trade deals. We sell weapons to Taiwan. How can it be that we treat it as not part of? And and to a certain extent, I think his fans find that very refreshing. That the that the language of diplomacy, which sometimes is used that way to create these sort of not legal fictions, but policy fictions that allow diplomats to to move smooth, but are denying basic realities. That that sort of doesn't work well with his sensibilities, which is a strength and a weakness like anything else. And I think this Jerusalem thing is exactly – I think you're right. I think it does fall into that category of um, – well, obviously it's the capital. So it plays to his strength to call it the capital and just not play you know games. Yeah. No, it was just – it made um, perfect sense. I mean I could see – you could see that it made – perfect sense to him it fit within his ethos and he just like it was it's like a waste of his time right. to deal with something like that he's just not going to do it now i will say okay, it, fine. i can also compare it to another policy move of his which was for his transgender ban from the military which the military is completely ignoring and i mm. I, I make that comparison because the state department was asked if they will now, uh, the United States, it's not just that the United States didn't recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The United States State Department does not recognize Jerusalem as part of Israel. Right. And that was the Supreme Court case, Zivotofsky versus Kerry, where mm -hmm. an, an American immigrant to Israel, whose child was born in a Jer West Jerusalem hospital, went to get his son a passport. West, West Jerusalem. West, West Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Right. What did I say? I don't know. It broke up a little bit. Sorry. Oh, Just want to make sure that was... <laughs> no, no, no. In West Jerusalem and his passport under country of origin on his American passport, it says country of origin is Jerusalem. Whereas uh, uh, a child born in Tel Aviv. Without says, Israel. Without Israel. Right. It just says Jerusalem. It but just if says a baby where were they born? Jerusalem and no Israel. Country of origin, Jerusalem. Whereas if a baby was born in Tel Aviv, it would say country of origin, Israel. So Tel Aviv, Israel. So he sued the United States State Department, and the Supreme Court basically said, that's up to the State Department. We in the judicial branch don't have the right to intervene on issues of diplomacy in the State Department. The State Department over the past week was contacted and said, so now because of the president's statement, do you now consider Jerusalem to be part of Israel? And the State Department said no. 
That policy has not changed. So according to no. the United States State Department, Same. Jerusalem is not Israel, although the head of the executive branch, which the State Department is within, says it is the capital of Israel, State official State Department policy is still that Jerusalem is not part of Israel. Because, as we said last week, since 1947, the world community is still treating the 1947 uh, partition plan and its plan for an international Jerusalem as potentially valid. So they won't, they won't call Jerusalem as part of Israel. And that's still in effect. And, of course, President Trump signed the six-month waiver to not move the embassy. Right. So, therefore, what's happened? I th think what's happened is a rhetorical statement by a president, which absolutely 100% matters in the world of politics, because language and perception really do matter. And so what he did symbols. was... What? Symbols. It, yeah, as a symbol, you know, symbols I think... Symbols that matter. Symbols matter. They do matter. 100%. Flags matter. Anthems matter. And this statement absolutely matters, but it doesn't really change anything functionally. No, which the status is, quo remains. Yeah. Which is why I think Palestinians, at least in Jerusalem, have not really reacted all that much. A lot of, like, you know. Well, you talk, were telling me about your but, neighbors, your, you know, yeah. your sovereign neighbors, your Israeli native neighbors. Yeah. And they, they were like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Trump, you know, did this, a couple of jokes here and there, which is not on, like, a major important radar whatsoever. I think it was much more important to American Jews, really. And I count myself as one of those in that sense. Like, we were focused on it. But it's really, it's my friends here, who I learned with on Shabbos, like, you know, I came up for, like, about 30 seconds, and that was, you know, and they didn't, like, they didn't get all excited about it, like, we were, nobody listened to it. I, I happened to not listen live. I was at this, you know, book fair, Chabad book fair, and, like, nobody, it was, like, nobody was, it, was, it wasn't on the radar whatsoever, yeah, that's true. You weren't live streaming. You weren't live posting with Lior and me on WhatsApp <laughs> while we were exactly. watching. You, you missed our drinking game. Yeah, I sent you a picture of the of the book fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, but I, it was on the news. It was very big story in Israeli news. It still is. They're still talking about it. Yeah, I think I think it did mean something to Israelis. Look, when the world community, uh -huh. I. I, I I sort of feel like and this is a terrible teacher analogy. I feel like if you came to work every day and there were 50 people in the office and they all said you were, you know, I don't know, a gopher, not a human being. And then one of the people in the office turns around and goes, you know what? I think Mike's a human being. So the whole situation mm -hmm. was ridiculous from the start. But it kind of feels good that somebody turned around and said, hey, you're a human being. So, you know, for, for the whole world. Yeah, don't expect it tomorrow, Mike. Well, you still have 49 people in the office. Who don't, you know, well, well, I don't expect any good treatment from you in the office, Alan. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's, it's meaningful. It's even, I would say, impactful. I don't know that it's game changing. Right. Why do you think he chose to do it now? I mean, there's like the, 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 and forgive me if you guys spoke about this last week, because I am getting ready to binge watch over or binge listen over Hanukkah. But um, obviously, like the, the cynics are saying to, to placate the donor base or to make good on the, the campaign promises or, you know, particular don't to satisfy the, the needs of particular donors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
to shore up the evangelicals before the election in Alabama. Exactly. Um, is it is it that? Right. I mean, the, the, um, the, is it the, that? Is it is it this this need to um, to, to I call think, out um, I, I mean, and, I think and do do what's right is what he's saying or as what he said to to paraphrase part of the speech. Um, like, why now? I mean, I don't know if it's worth anything, but. I, I just I and I think this is actually, you know, one of the big criticisms, even as we saw from the head of the reform movement um, from the Jewish side or we've seen from a lot of different sides. And we actually said on the podcast last week is he doesn't have a strategy. There's no strategy here. So I think it's most likely I don't know if Mike said it or in our conversations, but, it, you know, it, this this waiver comes up every six months. Oh, yeah, here's I the really waiver again. That's it. Here's the waiver again. Oh, that later, I don't like. I was it's supposed to do something about this, up. right? Oh, I'll make a speech and say Drew Capital signed the waiver, and they just came up with it on the spot. And like, we're moving on. By the way, he did a similar thing yeah. when the when the um, when you have to keep ratifying uh, uh, that Iran is keeping its end of the deal. He sort of called it out rhetorically, but then allowed the deal with Iran to keep going. So this is what he does when. Um, and, and I think there's something to it. I, I, I think he's walking a tightrope. He's saying what he thinks. And the policy people and the strategists are saying, but don't change too much, really. Uh, I really think it has more to the fact that this was the second time it came up, and that was last Monday. Um, and he was just frustrated I, with things not proceeding, and he you know, sort of wanted to change the conversation. Oh, this is on my desk now. Yeah, I got, I got some feedback from uh, my friend Maury, who also posted on the Facebook group, who felt that we weren't being fair to him. And I, and I, and I, I don't think he's a strategist. That's not what I read from him. That all people who look at this strategically, I haven't heard anybody who looks at this strategically and said, "Yeah, do Jerusalem first, and that's going to lead to better results along the way," as opposed to saying. Let's resolve. Let's get this thing. Let's get. Let's shore this thing up closer. Let's bring Saudi Arabia in closer with Israel. Let's bring uh, Israel cl- more acceptance in the Sunni world. Let's do that, and then we'll get to Jerusalem later. That seems like a more coherent strategy, but that doesn't mean it's right. In other words, the 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 strategists who are all saying this was the wrong move at the wrong time, I think that makes sense, and they could still be wrong. The fact that the people taking the educated guess and taking the safe bet um, pretty much seem to be agreeing doesn't mean that they're right and Trump is wrong. Trump could be taking a bold Hail Mary guess and striking out of this. And maybe, as the White House is saying, well, maybe this will shake things up and this disruption will lead to a a reformatting and a rebooting of the whole uh, Middle East scenario. So, so I'd like to – oh, you're done, Mike? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to point our, our listeners towards something that's very fascinating that happened yesterday that may tie into this and be a result of this, which is uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's surprise visit to the Middle East, um, which all of a sudden uh, he came and, and visited three countries yesterday in the Middle East. First, Syria, to announce that they're pulling their troops out of Syria. And then went to Egypt and Turkey, um, the two, you know, the, the major uh, super other superpowers in the in the Middle East, 
And um, it's been clear that since the Obama administration, you know, Russia has been moving uh, and uh, strategizing and moving into the Middle East. Um, and there's a good question that it, it, is the timing connected also to this as as the America, certainly the Trump administration is not, you know, with this announcement of Jerusalem, not seen as on the same page as um, even the major Sunni players in the Middle East um, and that Russia is sort of making a bid there. Um, I think that that if you talk about strategy, it seems clear that the Russians, you know, who are not nearly as strong as America in one sense, are certainly making another uh, 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 continual play in the Middle East. Um, and it's, it's interesting that that move came after this annou- announcement um, about Jerusalem. Well, it's also, um, an, it's also an interesting move because placing himself in the Egypt mm-hmm. uh, sector is not, I mean, his main influence here in the Middle East, Putin, you know, Russia's influence in the Middle East is mostly along the Shia, Syria, Iranian, the northern, the northern band. Mm -hmm. So he's trying also now, I'll tell you the truth, I don't know how much of a strategist Putin is, but he's also a bold tactician. Um, And he just keeps trying things and sees what sticks. And he's, he Mm -hmm. does things that most people in the West would be too timid to do. So, but, and it certainly it certainly raises eyebrows coming off this sort of seeming shift, and something that pushes the Sun, it pushes the, the 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 Sunni world a little bit further from America, yeah. and so he's sort of you know seeing that daylight and moving in. It could be. It's hard to know. It did feel like a victory lap for Putin's uh, Middle East influence. And, and I think it's something that David Harris was trying to get across last week, even though we didn't necessarily agree with him on all his points, but he's trying to get across that the street, for the street, it's still, you know, the, the man in the street, Jerusalem, you know, Al-Aqsa, those mean something very uh, important. Those are very, if we talk about symbols, those are extremely important religious symbols in the Arab Muslim world, Arab sure. and Muslim world. Um, so, you know, and of course, governments, whether autocracies or democracies, need to be conscious of their street and the man on the street or person on the street. Right, but I'll play devil's advocate like again. Century. Maybe this is the push that the Sunni world needs. The Sunni world needs America and increasingly needs Israel. Maybe this is the push they need to start getting the Arab street a little more aligned with the reality of living yeah. in Israel as a, as a healthy neighbor. So that in and of itself also, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, no, exactly. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just pointing out the fact that it's interesting the timing of that of Putin's visit, um, and it's something that one needs to certainly keep eyes out on. Can you say that eyes out on eyes on? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's also late. <laughs> you guys are doing great. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm proud of both of you. Yes. <laughs> Even though it's past our bedtime. Yeah. See what we do for you, Lior, to get you in the podcast. We stay up. We're, we're a little cranky, but we have to watch the time difference. <laughs> right. You've almost made it up to me. There you go. Right. So I will say that one of the aspects that I don't think anybody's talking about, you've seen the response from some of the Palestinian leadership. And we, we sort of – I'll pat us on the back that we sort of said that it would be a muted response, that, that, that the panic was overblown and that this wouldn't be – is that fair to say? Can we? 
Can we get past? I mean, I, it's hard for me to get past my self-loathing, but I think when I'm right, it's okay yes. to say. Yes, but we always have to have a caveat of things are tense still, and people who want to take advantage of it will. There have been rockets from Gaza, and there's still a very low-level tension that has spiked a, a very small spike in Gaza, and you never know what can turn. Well, a security you know, guard was stabbed in the chest at uh, a security the guard was stabbed. In stabbed but, uh, you know, the Gaza, the rocket from Gaza fell on Friday night in a in a residential area, but nobody was hurt. So, it, you never know how these things have a, a terrible attack or on Israel side a response that causes a lot of civilian casualties. So, no, God forbid, I, I hesit- God forbid all those things. I'm hesitantly patting ourselves in the back, just saying right. that. Right. Um, Whereas the, it, so far, so far it hasn't been was the response that we kind of figured would be, but one always has to be a little bit, have a little bit of humility. And, right. Um, but people who were bracing for this look, to look like after when yeah. Sharon went up onto the Temple Mount in 2000, okay. this is not that. that. And by the way, that's exactly why. I, if I write the, the Palestinians, do not feel that El Aqsa is threatened. This did, did a, not the, threaten El Aqsa. They did a great job in maintaining oh. the status quo for Friday Paris. They did exactly. the right call there. It was smart. Well, people protested. Yeah. I will say this. I will give a demerit in human sensibility to the Palestinian Authority for canceling school on Thursday and sending all those high school kids out into the street. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty transparent, I think. No? But uh, clearly no. they went to play snookers instead of going out to the street. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is they did, but I but you spinners. heard you heard from <laughs> this is the part of the evening. You're so where, hip, Alan. Yeah, either hip or just rambling into incoherence. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you you do have a hat. Okay, it's not a video podcast. People don't see your hat, Alan. You want me to take a screenshot no. for that? that? That was for Lior. <laughs> wow, here I took a screenshot. I can show people what you look like. Um, <laughs> Um, scary. Here, here's the lingering fear for me. And you heard this from some of the some pretty top people in the Palestinian Authority, that as this leads to, look, I, I think it's a Western thing to call this something that's hurting the peace process. I think, and I'll be the emperor has no clothes Trumpian for a minute. There is no peace process. Cross, right? Like <clears throat> process means you're taking steps leading to something. There have not been any steps undertaken for quite some time. So the illusion both of the, sides are happy, unfortunately, with the status quo, it seems. The leadership of both sides are happier with the status quo and for various reasons. But I think that what you're hearing, and this is not only a growing minority within the, the Palestinian street, but also from some leaders. Well, if we despair of a two-state solution, so we'll just give up and ask for a citizenship of the state of Israel. We'll ask to have the West Bank annex and we'll become citizens of the state of Israel. That tactic, which is, which is a, which again represents a growing, why haven't the Palestinians embraced that till now? Well, you, first of all, you're referring to the Atlantic article, right? Well, yeah, the Atlantic article, I can attach it. The Atlantic article gave actual statistics on this, but this is something we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah, no, we've been talking about it for a few years, that it's a growing, growing voice in the Palestinian street, especially a young, amongst the younger generation now who's coming of age. 
um, came Which out. Which I think age. will shape the next, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, young Palestinians who are saying, eh, forget it. Let's just demand right. citizenship in Israel. Let's tell them to annex it. That means we have to that, give up on our short-term dream of creating a Palestinian state. But long-term, we think within three, four, five generations, it'll be an Arab state because we'll outnumber the Jews. The Atlantic article uh, quotes a survey that says that today 33% of Palestinians are are calling for one state, you know, supporting the idea of a one state. Now, ideologically, I see why that's only a third of Palestinians because they don't want to give up on the idea of this state and acknowledge Israel. Pragmatically, yeah. pragmatically and strategically, give up on that ideological victory and take the long-term harder path of saying, well, let's just demand, let's dismantle the Jewish character of the state because automatically you become what? 40% of the citizenship of Israel would then become Arab? Yeah, today. If the, today we gave citizenship to all the, today, the Palestinians we'll start, we between can, the river and the sea. Yeah. So we can start working on 40%. things like, we can start working on things like changing the anthem and we can change the flag and we can change the Jewish character of the state. And within right. a few generations, we could probably... We could change the law of return. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Within a few generations... We could pretty much dismantle the Jewish character of the state. Now, I so see what, no what's reason. Your question? Well, my question is. Michael's the original BDS proponent. You heard it here first, folks. Well, I mean, this is this is what BDS is calling for. Uh, it's, right. It's the Palestinians here who haven't been calling <laughs> for it. But I think they can be convinced. And my question is, I have two questions. Question one is. Does the, does the United States changing its position, even rhetorically, on Jerusalem help push that into effect, one? And two, if it is, and maybe you guys don't think this is a real problem, but if it is a real problem, what are we doing about that in Israel or America? Like, how are we, to me, that should be of major strategic concern to Zionists. Because a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza would not be the end of Zionism. But a state that's 50-50 Jews and Arabs, I think that would be the, uh, a failure. You would not have a Jewish state. You have to also look at factor in birth rates. Does this, I haven't read the article, but does it factor in like what the birth rate looks like? So, I mean, you're looking at it right now as um, <clears throat> admitting... Um, <clears throat> Like granting citizenship to what a, th a third of the populace or the entire population, Palestinian population of the West Bank. Two million. And then you have between one okay, and a half and two and a half million Arabs. Let's say two million Arabs. Okay, so then you have to look at um, compa comparing birth rates. My understanding was <coughs> that the Palestinian birth rate was um, not as high as the Jewish birth rate in Israel at this point. Was that? I mean, because there's there's different statistics that yeah. show so. It's hard to say. It's it's it was it was much higher, and it's been, right. It had been higher, but my understanding was that it had been dropping in proportion to the rate leveling of closer. The, yeah, the it Jewish birth. It does. It does. I I argue it doesn't really matter those those demographics because once you have a a, a minority that is even thirty or forty percent of your population that, I mean, just look for instance, how Israel's, uh, Israel's politics works and the strength of the religious parties. That's the other thing. It's that like, well, because the, the, I mean, it's the, the Israel is shifting, right? Right. 
it, they're shifting right, and those people. It's um, I mean, there's the whole the whole a whole right. question of um, how if, how mm-hmm. much of a theocracy is Israel becoming? But, but even and, a 40 percent minority has could have tremendous amount of would have tremendous amount of influence. So it would change I'm, the I'm Jewish more, nature of the state. Yeah, I'm concerned about the democratic nature of the state of Israel, not necessarily the Jewish nature of the state of Israel. Um, like to be honest, in terms of like the in, in terms of the like the Zionist character of it, yeah. like I, yeah. I I see it split between um, like in this doomsday scenario that you're that you're talking <laughs> about in some <laughs> regard. Um, I I see it like the, it's a it's a it's a um, a battle of theocracies potentially. Um, like you can, you can go, you could go that far and see extremes if you want to. I'm you all could, about but the I, I, I don't see the Israeli. You know, we're talking about the Arab Street, but I don't think see the Israeli street supporting that. In other words, the 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 the, the ultra orthodox minority, which is about ten percent and somewhat growing, has a disproportionate amount that now they're fighting about keeping more places closed on Shabbat Actually. or. Right. They have their, you know, but I I don't think they'll really get past freedom of religion. You know, they'll start shutting down freedom of religion. I don't think they'll start shutting down. I'm not talking about like freedom of religion necessarily. I'm talking about like the idea of um, (coughs) the like the stranglehold of stranglehold is a little bit more colorful than I wanted to say. But um, the idea of. I guess what is normative Judaism within Israel proper and the shift, if there's like more of a shift rightward within, um, within what is normative Judaism in Israel and you have things becoming much more, much more from right within Israel. And if there isn't, I I would see if there is an influx of, um, if there's like more of an influx of other within Israel that would start potentially tearing apart the foundations of Judaism within the state, I would see more of a hold on the Jewish characteristics of the state as opposed potentially to the democratic piece. Well, if we're doomsdaying just the scenario. Of how, just, just because of I actually, how things I actually thought go you were with going, it. I thought yeah. you were going to like a scenario where, you know, the religious Jewish wing and the religious Arab Muslim wing would find much common ground to bring a much more conservative with a small C society, um, uprooting democratic values. That's a possible scenario. And, I, and let's. I not- mean, I think I think you could see it. I think you could see yeah. it that way. But I think there'd be like more of a like a tension between the two over like what, which way is the right well, way? Many years ago, they like exist. Many years ago, before it became a number of years ago, before it became decided of the gay pride parade in Jerusalem, meaning now it happens and it's ignored by the religious voice, the the Muslim, Jewish, and Christian leadership in the city fought together to try and stop the gay pride parade from happening. Okay, Um, you guys are you guys are messing up my doomsday scenario with I think the less likely (laughs) possibilities of what would happen Changing That's the, Arab, the joy of the doomsday scenario. We get to really make it crazy. I think it's more likely, and the, you know, we haven't addressed that you would have internal violence with a sixty percent, forty percent split between Jews and Arabs. I, I don't see how you wouldn't have an increase in internal chaos. But ultimately, 
but even at the beginning aspect of my doomsday scenario, if the Arabs of the West Bank say, we don't want our own state, we want to be annexed and become citizens of the state of Israel, what is the state of Israel supposed to say to that other than, well, yeah, that's fair. Either that or, well, we're going to uh, annex the West Bank, but based on your ethnicity, not give you the same legal Here rights. There's a rocket in the, the Gaza perimeter. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't the, know. I would. I also don't think it happens all at once, though. I mean, this is like a it's a it's a slow burn doomsday scenario. You know, correct. Like it's not a correct. Is not feeding I, into the despair of a Palestinian state the little steps I, that build actually, up to the doomsday scenario. It's just tactically, I don't. I mean, I understand why Palestinians want self determination, and that's an ideological problem, and all those things. But tactically, I, I, I don't understand why they don't do what I'm saying. Do that. I agree with you, and I agree um, with Leah that I think it's coming. It's just not coming tomorrow, and I don't think Zionism has even thought about that. Well, I think, Israel, I, I think the Israeli center is I, terrified of two I, things. I Israel, disagree with you. Mike. Well, I Sharon think I think you're forgetting I think you're forgetting about the power of the almighty dollar. I think that you're I think you are um you're discounting the fact that if people are doing well um and people are happy, their bellies are full, they're educated, they have enough freedoms involved, they are removed enough from the um from the ideology of their great grandparents or great 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 grandparents that they're not necessarily going to care about the freedom struggle enough to care about the symbols that they're under. As long as they're able to do what they want to do, right. they're not ne- like they wouldn't no, necessarily but- care that they're living in a Jewish state. Like, oh, oh they no, can they go are. to school, they no, can no. do whatever. Lior, like, Lior, if forty, like we're talking, we're talking about like you're talking about three, four generations down the road. That's like what a hundred years? No, no, no. Let's say that next year. The Palestinians reject the Palestinian Authority, say we no longer mm-hmm. want to work for an independent state. We want to be citizens of the state of Israel. The state of Israel has nothing to say other than if, – if the state of Israel believes in democracy and you have people under its military control who say we want to be citizens, annex us please. I don't know what Israel is supposed to say that would counter that so, other than so. sure. You now have 40 percent of the country Arab. They absolutely would say we don't like singing Hatikva. Yeah, but so, I thought like, but like five minutes ago, you said that it was like three or four generations. That was this was really three or oh four no, generations three, down the road. No, I am not. Three or four generations around, they could very well have an Arab majority. So, so Mike, I, I, I agree I, with I, Alan that you don't need a majority to disrupt the Jewish character of the state. I, I'm. Well, I think we're running out of time, but I don't think it's true that there's no Jews. There are no Zionists who are thinking about this. There are Zionists who are thinking about this. And there are certain kinds of parameters. There's different there's different groups out there um, that talk about potentialities like confederation. Um, the president of Israel has been a long time one stater who is a right wing Likud, um, long time lifelong Likud uh, member. So there are those talking about it, and it's not necessarily only on the left. There's also on the right that talk about different uh, paradigms. But I think we're kind of running out of time. We are, and maybe time. this should be. You think what? there's a way to make a one state work as long as it survives? And I think I think maybe it's yeah. we should do this is a whole topic unto itself. Right. I, I agree with you. Podcast if, unto itself. I will say that Mike, 
if you t- if you told me that they were coming next year, that it is a one. It's it's a, it is your doomsday scenario. Yeah, no, I'll say I'm saying that there, you said that nobody's talking. That nobody's resigned. I'm not saying that nobody's talking, talking about it. I'm not saying Zionists aren't thinking about it at all. I'm saying that every time we claim victory because the United States puts another nail in the coffin of a two state solution, we are moving. We are inching closer to a one state solution. And I don't hear people I agree with you. countering and saying, but here's how we'll make that work and keep Zionism alive. That's not what I'm hearing. But I also so don't I think so. I also don't think it's happening next year. I think the status quo is like more likely for one year for next year than than a one state solution. I think strategy should be past one year. It should be in ten, twenty years. And within ten, twenty years it's a realistic fear. Well, so that's a great note to uh all right, positive it keep, up. Keep our hanging. Keep our keep our listeners <laughs> come back for this for for our podcast when we talk about a one state solution. New. No, so, what's your positive spin at the end from the Zionist for the Zionist perspective? What's my positive spin? It's Hanukkah. Neska dolayapo. Yeah, it'll all work out. We have faith that uh, we, we, we. I I have moved here. I am I am putting my, uh, you know. Oh, oh, we're putting our lives on the line that this is going to uh, somehow in the end all work out well, even though we let's, can... let's put Let's put this way. In 1948, and this is your thing, right? In 1948, there were 600,000 Jews when we declared a state here. Now there's 6 million Jews here. Yeah. 40%, 40% of the Jewish people are now living in the land of Israel. 40, so More and more, above 40. 42%, I think it is, actually. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. So that, you know, I think that they we're, we're on the right track and you, you ask good and tough questions, but. Right. Didn't Ben-Gurion say that to be a realist in Israel, you have to believe in miracles? Exactly. So 100%. All right. Well, we thank go. you so much, Lior. I know it's not staying up late for you, but you have to still hang out for like over a half hour with uh, two. She old has to go people. light candles now. She's got to look oh, light yeah. candles. Oh, fun. Enjoy. Time to get my menorah on. <laughs> what? what? Uh, so thanks so much, Lior. All back, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, guys. And happy Hanukkah, bye. everybody. Bye. Happy Hanukkah. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, you can follow our Facebook page at the Teachers Lounge Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ju Israel Gap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And if you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.